Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we're able to wake up and um, come to a Bible study. We don't have to worry about our lives or being uh, threatened for worshiping you. Thank you for that freedom. And Lord, I thank you for what you're teaching us from your word. There's so much. But Lord, I pray that we would come away today with at least one thing that we will intentionally apply to our lives. Lord, help us just shut out all the distractions and focus on you and your word this morning. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if someone were to ask you, and actually Becky did ask you this in the study this week, if someone were to ask you, what is your biggest fear? How would you answer that? And maybe you don't have a fear. I uh, will tell you my biggest fear, and I've shared this with some of you, and, and uh, you've heard it before. But one of my biggest fears is growing old alone. You know, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. And I find myself sometimes going, Lord, what's going to happen to me when I get old? And I can't care for myself anymore. And I'm the youngest of the, my brothers. Uh, my brothers are seven and nine years older. I'm just guessing that probably I will outlive them, but there's no guarantee. But I'm thinking, okay, they're going to be gone. Uh, my nieces and their kids are going to be doing their thing. So, Lord, who's going to take care of me? I don't have kids. don't have a husband. What's going to happen to me when I grow old? Who's going to come see me at the nursing home? Who's going to help me make decisions? But, you know, that's my fear. What is your fear? And what are you anxious about? And then we just need to stop and ask ourselves, why are we afraid? And why are we anxious about things that may or may not ever happen, but we spend time worrying about it? So I can only speak for myself, but for me, I get anxious and fearful when I forget that God is my shepherd and that he's going to take care of me. I don't need to worry because he is going to take care of me just like a shepherd takes care of his sheep. Why do we worry? Because when I go back to that truth and remember that he is my shepherd, I know that he loves me and I know that he's going to take care of me. But I, I forget that and I get caught up in my worries. Well, this week we began our study by looking at the narrative in Mark 4 when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm came up. If you've ever been to Israel, I'm sure you've taken the boat ride across. It's a lot bigger piece of water than I think I had envisioned. It takes a while to get across the Sea of Galilee. And this storm came up, and the disciples became afraid, and he was sleeping. And they woke him up and asked him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And we often respond in the same way when we're in the middle of a storm. God, do you not care? Are you not concerned about what's going on in my life? Well, Jesus calmed the storm, 
And he asked the disciples a very powerful question. (laughs) Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And that's what he says to you and me when we ask that same thing. Lord, do you not care? And his response is, why are you afraid? Why? Do you not have faith that I will take care of you? I'm your shepherd. Trust me. And so I was very convicted by the lesson this week as I realized when those fears start to surface, I don't fully trust my shepherd to take care of me when I'm worrying about it. I don't trust that he is going to care for me like a shepherd cares for a sheep. And so as I studied this week's lesson, three words kept coming to mind. And these are, I guess, if you don't remember anything else this morning, these are the three words I would encourage you to come away with. And that's simply trust the shepherd. Trust the shepherd in the storms that he takes you through and trust him even in the good times. Trust him, the calm seasons. So in John 10, and that's where we're going to spend our time this morning, is in John 10, Jesus gives us three reasons why we should trust him as our shepherd. And so I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 18. We're not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to refer to verses in John 10. But before we dig into the text, I want to give you uh, just a a context of John 10 and what was going on at the time. Because if we just jump into John 10, we're not going to, we're going to miss the bigger picture. There's some debate about when John 10 actually happened, um, the timing of it, the, the first 21 verses of John 10. Some say that John 10 was a continuation of John 9, that it happened uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles, which ha- takes place in September, October. And so they would say there really shouldn't be a chapter break there. It's just a continuation of the story that happened in chapter 9. That's the view I take. But there are others who say that um, chapter 10 happens later during the, the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah. And that's talked about in, in chapter 10, verse 22. And so they say, well, They're talking about the Feast of Dedication there, so the whole chapter takes place there. And that would be sometime in December. And then there are others who say, well, chapter 10, these first uh, 21 verses could have occurred any time between the two festivals. Uh, Sometime, you know, between October and December. But again, I lean toward the view that chapter 10 is a continuation of, of what was happening in chapter 9 and the conversation that chapter 9 ended with and that the time break is actually with verse 22. So we're going to look at this passage very closely with chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus had just healed a blind man. And the Pharisees were not happy about that. They uh, were not happy that the man was claiming that this man, Jesus, healed me. They were not happy that he healed on the the Sabbath. I think my earring is hitting my microphone, but I don't know if I can get it out. But they, uh, okay, I'm one earring, okay? So, but uh, Jesus said um, he'd healed this blind man, and the, the Pharisees 
put the blind man out from the synagogue. And they were confronting Jesus about what he was doing. He said, I came so that the blind would have sight. And they said, well, are you saying that we're blind too? And that's what moves into chapter 10. That's where we pick up this message of chapter 10. And so you need to understand that in chapter 10, he is primarily addressing the Pharisees. The Pharisees that are upset with what he did in chapter 9. But there were others there. The, the blind man was probably in the crowd. There, were, there was a crowd there. But that's who he's mainly speaking to in chapter 10. The Pharisees who were really against him. And so the message to them and to us today from this passage is those three words, trust the shepherd, Jesus Christ. So let's look at these three reasons why we should trust him in the first 18 verses of chapter 10. The first reason that we should trust our shepherd, Jesus Christ, is because he is the true shepherd. And John emphasizes this in John 10, 1 to 5. And he begins... Jesus begins with an illustration and it, that would be familiar to his audience because most of the people at that time, a lot of them were sheep herders. And so they would understand what he was saying. So in any city or village, there would be a number of flocks of sheep. And for convenience at night, they would bring their little flock to this common sheepfold uh, in the town. And the sheepfold was just four walls, and I've got a picture of it. It's not the clearest, but these four walls, and there was only one entrance to get in to that sheepfold. And there would be uh, a doorkeeper, and you can see him kind of sitting in the door. There would be a doorkeeper who stayed at the door who would keep anyone from coming in that shouldn't be coming in. He was the guard to the gate. He was keeping the sheep safe. And then in the morning, each shepherd would come back to the door. They'd go to the doorkeeper and they'd say, Hey, I'm, I'm cricket. I'm, I'm here for my, my sheep. And he would say, Oh, yeah, I remember you from last night. Go on in. And I'd go in and go, Hey, kids, come on. Susie, Carrie, you know, Lynn, come on, come on, let's go. And they'd hear my voice. And they'd run to me, and then once I got all my kids together, I'd take them out to pasture. And then at night, I would bring them back to the sheepfold for safekeeping through the night. Well, that's the story, the, the illustration that Jesus was giving the Pharisees. And it says they didn't understand, uh, in verse, you know, they, they didn't understand what he was saying. But he interprets, or, or let me give the interpretation. He didn't really interpret it for them. He gave them another illustration. But the inter we've got to understand the symbolism of this illustration to understand his message. And, and that's what I want to walk us through is the symbolism of that story that Jesus gave. He said in verses 1 and 2, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. The message that Jesus was trying to get across to the Pharisees from this illustration was, I am the true shepherd of Israel, not you. I am the true shepherd of Israel. So who were the thieves and robbers that he was referring to in this, this story? 
The thieves and robbers are the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders. They're not true shepherds. But they're trying to take the sheep for their own motives and keeping them away from the true shepherd. And the doorkeeper would never, if, if, the, if they came to the front door, they'd never get through because the, shepherd would, the doorkeeper would know, wait, you're not a real shepherd. You're not up to any good with these sheep. And so they'd try to get into the sheepfold through other means, climbing over the walls, going through the, the walls. So who's the door? What's the door? What does that symbolize? The door symbolizes the biblical qualifications of the true shepherd of Israel, the Messiah. He was able to pass through the door because he met every qualification for being the true shepherd, the Messiah. All the Old Testament prophecies that talked about the Messiah coming and the shepherd that would gather his sheep, Jesus met all those prophecies. He fulfilled those prophecies He had the right to enter that door and gather his sheep. He was the true shepherd. And then the doorkeeper. Who is the doorkeeper symbolic of? And there's several views here. This isn't real straightforward. Um, One view is that the doorkeeper is symbolic of the Old Testament prophets who prophesied about the coming Messiah, the shepherd who would gather his sheep. Others say uh, John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was a forerunner to Christ. And he was preparing the way for Jesus to come and gather his sheep. That's, what the, that's the view that most of my seminary professors take. And I lean toward this, <clears throat> although I have to say that they all kind of have, they make sense, all three. The third view is that the doorkeeper represents or is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, who opens the door. So the Lord can enter our hearts and our lives. But the doorkeeper is making sure that only the right shepherd, the true shepherd, can gather his flock. And he's protecting the sheep. So then that brings us to, well, who do the sheep and the sheephold represent? What are they symbolic of? They're symbolic of the nation of Israel, the Jews. Jesus came to the Jews, and he called them to follow him. Some heard his voice, and they recognized him as the Messiah, their true shepherd, and they followed him out of the sheepfold, away from Judaism, away from legalism, religion, into freedom and relationship with God. You know, his disciples were an example of that. They were in Judaism, and they heard the shepherd's voice, and they followed him. So did the blind man. But there were others that didn't recognize his voice as a Messiah, and they stayed right where they were in Judaism. And so Jesus used this first illustration to make the point, I am the true shepherd. That's the first reason why we can trust him. Because he is not a false shepherd. He is the true shepherd. Second reason we can trust our shepherd is because he's the door of the sheep. We see this in verses 7 to 10. And again, in verse 6, it tells us the Pharisees had no clue what Jesus was trying to get across here. 
And then in verse 7, he makes an I am statement. And Becky didn't cover this in her study, and I, I'm not really sure why. I'd love to ask her someday, why, why did we not cover that in the study? But <clears throat> I am going to touch on this I am statement, and that is that I am the door of the sheep. But this door, just I, let me just say, chapter 10 is very confusing. It took me forever studying it over two weeks to figure out how to even pull this together. But this is a different door than the door he talked about in the first illustration, just to make it even more confusing. <clears throat> because here he is referring to a different sheepfold. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the shepherd would come to his, get his sheep out in the morning and he'd he would lead them out to pasture. And out in this pasture, there was another sheepfold where he kept the sheep. Or, but he stood in the door of that sheepfold, and he functioned as a door or a gate because they could come in if they wanted security and safety, but they had to come in through him. They had to go through him to go out to pasture and enjoy all the good things out in the pasture. So the spiritual meaning here is that Jesus is the only door by which people can enter into God's provision for them. He is the only door to salvation. He is the only door to abundant life in Christ. And those sheep had to go through that door to experience salvation and all the riches of the pasture that the shepherd had for them. And those sheep that pass through the door, those who trust in Jesus as their Messiah, their shepherd, they are saved and they receive eternal life and abundant life. In verse 8, Jesus says, All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. He's referring there, again, when he says thieves and robbers, he is referring to the, to the leaders of the nation, the Jewish leaders who didn't care for the spiritual good of the people. <clears throat> they were more concerned about themselves. And Jesus, as our shepherd, provides security for his flock from the enemies. He provides for their daily needs. That's why he's got pasture for them to go to and to eat and to drink and to lay down. <clears throat> and then to come in and, and be safe. And then we come to John 10.10. 10. It's a very familiar verse to many of us. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the thief is the false shepherd who cares about feeding himself, not, not building up the flock. We looked at that when we looked at Ezekiel 34 this week as God talked about the evil shepherd and the good shepherd. Some have said here that the thief in this verse is Satan, that he is the ultimate thief who wants to rob us and keep us first from eternal life, but then rob us of the abundant life that we have in Christ. You know, my time at LSU, this verse became very special to me because in my junior year, I was a wandering sheep away from the shepherd. <clears throat> and Bonnie, who was on staff with Campus Crusade, sat down and we talked about this verse. And I said, I, I don't have an abundant life. I believe I'm a Christian. And she agreed. She said, I, I have no doubt that you're a Christian. But why do you think you're not having the abundant life? And that just opened up the door to realize that 
You only have the abundant life if you stay close to the shepherd, which I wasn't doing. So the first two reasons that we should trust the shepherd, Jesus Christ, are because he's the true shepherd and because he's the door of the sheep. He is the only way to eternal life and an abundant life. Then we come to the third reason why we should trust the shepherd. Because he is the good shepherd. Verses 11 to 18. And he makes the next I am statement in verses 11 and 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. False shepherds don't care about the flock. They care about themselves. But Jesus genuinely cares for us, his sheep. He is the good shepherd. And that word that's translated good in the phrase good shepherd, in the original language, it it carries the meanings of noble, praiseworthy, desirable, and pleasing to God. So Jesus is the noble, praiseworthy, desirable, pleasing to God shepherd. And we can trust him. So what are the characteristics of the good shepherd that he points out in these verses? I'm going to just quickly give you three from the passage. One quality of the good shepherd is that he loves us sacrificially. In verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He laid down his life for us when he died on the cross for our sins. He died for us so that we would live. That's sacrificial love. We can trust him with our lives because he loves his sheep sacrificially. And he's already proven that by giving his life for us. A second characteristic of the good shepherd is that he stands with us faithfully. He doesn't just love us sacrificially. He stands with us faithfully. This is in verses 12 to 14. And he gives the example of the hired hand who's not a shepherd. He's not the owner of the sheep. And when he sees the wolf coming, he's like, well, I'm not staying here because that wolf is going to come after me if I stand here. And he runs away because he's more concerned about his own well-being than he is the sheep that he's supposed to be taking care of. And so he runs away in fear, and the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. He deserts the flock when they most need him. But the good shepherd doesn't desert us. He doesn't leave us when the enemy attacks. He doesn't run away and say, you're on your own, kid. He stays right there, and he protects us. I picture him standing there like, get away from her. You're going to have to go through me to get to her. He puts himself between us and the enemies, and he stands with us faithfully because he cares for us. So a good shepherd loves his sheep sacrificially. He stands with his sheep faithfully. And then the third characteristic, he knows us intimately. Verses 14 to 15, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. That's an intimate relationship. And again, the Greek word here 
for the word know when he says, I know my sheep. It indicates more than just knowing mere facts. It implies a relationship of trust and intimacy. It's more than just knowing about somebody. You know, well, I know Cricket. She grew up in Louisiana. She's got two big brothers. You know, he really knows me. He knows more than just there's that that relationship, that, that intimacy. You know, I think we all long to be loved and to be known by somebody. <clears throat> and I have to admit, I have my, my days, my times that I find myself sitting there saying, God, I wish that I belonged to somebody, that I had, you know, somebody that just loved me dearly like your husbands love you. And this usually comes after I've watched a few Hallmark movies. <laughs> So I usually say, okay, I've seen enough Hallmark movies for a while. I need a break. But I do. I find myself sitting there and going, God, I want that soulmate. I want that person who loves me the way that, that these husbands love these women, that, that they belong to them. I want to feel special. I want my Hallmark man. And every time I, I, I tell him that, he always gives me the same answer. I'm that for you, Cricket. I'm that person for you. I love you more than any human man would love you. You're special to me. You belong to me. That's the, the best person to belong to. So I always tell the Hallmark movies, yeah, well, I've got my person. <laughs> so... Um, you know, it's just a good reminder that he <clears throat> wants that intimate relationship with us. He loves us and knows us intimately. And so the message from John 10 is trust the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we can trust him because of these three reasons in John 10. He's the true shepherd, he's the door of the sheep, and he is the good shepherd. And we're going to have storms come up in life. And we're going to have fears. You've got yours, I've got mine. But will we trust our shepherd to get us through? I want to just give you a little application here at the end to close things out. I'm just going to give you two quick takeaways to think about as you ponder this lesson. The first one is stay close to the shepherd. We need to trust him. We need to stay close to him. We don't need to be afraid or fear anything if we stay close to the shepherd. You know, oftentimes in, in those days when the shepherd, uh, he would take his sheep and lead them. Some, many times he had to take them into a deep ravine or a deep valley that was so deep that the hills on either side blocked out the sun and they would walk through darkness. But if the sheep stood right next to the shepherd and walked right next to him, he was fine. And he got through that and then came up and the sun was out again. That's what we have to do is stay close to the shepherd and we'll be okay. And we can trust him. Don't wander off. Don't be led away by the world. Stay close to the shepherd. And then the second takeaway is 
stay attentive to the shepherd. Who are you listening to? The world? What the world says is right? Oh, the Bible's not relevant today. That's an old book written by men years ago. That's not true. But that's what the world wants you to believe. It's okay to have same-sex marriage. The Bible didn't know what they... That was old. Times have changed. The culture's changed. Are you listening to the world? Are you listening to the lies of Satan? You're nobody. Who would ever love you? If they really knew what you'd done, you think they would love you? Are you listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd? And I will tell you, I have never, in my many years of walking with the Lord, I have never once heard an audible voice from God. But I can still hear his voice through other ways. I hear his voice in the Word. When I'm in his Word, his Word jumps out at me, and it's as if he is speaking to me directly. I hear his voice through prayer when I'm praying, and he prompts me with something, or and the Holy Spirit prompts me about something. That's how I hear him. I also hear him through the godly wisdom of women who know me well and know my situation well. We have to stay attentive to him. You know, our circumstances are another way sometimes I can hear God in terms of, especially when I'm looking for his leading. You know, when I took this job at First Evan, uh, I didn't really want to take it. And I went back home to Dallas and was talking to, I was had given all the reasons why this was not a good job for me and I wasn't going to take it. I did not want to, and it basically came down to, I didn't want to leave Dallas. Um... I didn't know anything about Memphis, and I just didn't want change. But I was trying to listen to the shepherd, and he used everything. He used circumstances. I had just graduated from seminary. It was the right time. Uh, he used people here to encourage me. Um, he used also just the job description. It was as if he was speaking to me through that. Cricket, here's exactly what you love to do. Teach, write, disciple. What job could you find that's better than that? But it's not in Dallas, God. It's in Memphis. Could you find that job in Dallas? But he very clearly led me, and then through a godly mentor, Vicki Kraft, who had actually come up here and met with the women, and when I told her I wasn't going to take the job, she went, why? And talked through every one of my excuses and said, well, I'm not God, but I think you're a fool if you say no. God speaks to us. Are we staying attentive to him, to the shepherd? Trust your shepherd. And I'm preaching this to myself as I fear my future growing old. We need to trust the shepherd to take care of us. One of the names of God is Yahweh Rohi, and I put that up there for you. We studied this when we studied the names of God. This means God, my shepherd. And this name is one of the names of, uh, 
God's names of sufficiency. Just as a shepherd provides everything that his sheep need, the Lord provides everything that we need. Everything. We don't need to be afraid, but trust our shepherd, Yahweh Roi. Father, thank you that you are our shepherd. Thank you that we can trust you because you're the good shepherd who loves us, who knows us, who protects us, who leads us, who guides us. And Lord, I do pray for us, your sheep, that we would stay close to you and not wander off or get enticed by something over to the side and get lost. And I pray that we would stay attentive to you, Father. That we would know your voice and tune out all the other voices telling us what to do. Thank you, Father, for loving us sacrificially and laying down your life for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.